Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Thank you, folks. You can be seated. Well, it is a delight to welcome my friend and yours, Doug Dorman. When I moved to Myrtle Beach in 2003, back here, this is home for me originally, but uh, I became uh, reconnected or developed a friendship, I should say, with a guy named Charlie McBride. Some of you remember Charlie. Charlie died of cancer a few years ago, but Charlie um, had a a saying, if you were to greet him and say, Charlie, how are you doing? He says, keeping it real. And uh, if, if you... If he asked you how you were doing and you were saying you were better than you actually were, he would say, keep it real. And, uh, and, and so the title of today's message is Keeping It Real. The, uh, we're, we're in this series that we're closing out today on Naturally Supernatural. And I was uh, able to, to witness a naturally supernatural event of a different nature, uh, one, one that's more internal than physical. And it was through this pastor, Protes Ashigaza, easy for you to say, right? And he, it was in Rwanda. This guy's the pastor of the Door Christian Fellowship Church in Mbumba, uh, Rwanda. And we were talking during the break, and I was training, training pastors there, about 200 guys. And, and this guy came to me and started sharing his story. You know, when, uh, when colonization took place by the Europeans in Africa and they began dividing up the country, uh, dividing up the continent into various factions, it really created a lot of tension. And one of those great tensions was between the Hutus and the Tutsis. And those two tribal groups have warred against each other for over a hundred years. And in... 19, the early 1990s, this pastor, Protes, and his family, uh, he was, he's a farmer but also a pastor, and he was farming, and he heard this commotion in his village, and he turned to see his village being slaughtered. If you have seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, if you haven't, I recommend it. Uh, viewer discretion is advised, not a kid's movie, uh, but it really depends depicts, I think, the, the circumstances and that the, the church there and the, the, the people there experienced. And this pastor said that his wife and two daughters were killed as well as 46 of his relatives. For 41 days, he hid in a swamp. And during cover of darkness, he was able to escape one night and his life was spared. But for the next seven years, he had great bitterness in his heart toward those who had killed his family. And he desired that they die. And he plotted against them. How can I take revenge? And during this time, he was a trainer. Uh, Youth with a Mission was mentioned. He was a trainer of the DTS, Discipleship Training School. And he shared with his prayer partner his bitterness. And together they began to process what healing would look like for Pastor Protes. 
and he chose to forgive his perpetrators. And during that process, uh, he began to visit the prison of those who had killed his family. And it was announced by the government that if anyone admitted their participation in the genocide, they would be freed. And he knew, he knew if they were freed, they would be killed. And so the Lord began to deal with him, and and he did something that was, uh, I share this as a description, not a prescription. This is describing what he did. God may call you to do something differently, uh, different than he did, but the Lord prompted Pastor Protes to go to those who had killed and ask their forgiveness. And he went and he said, I want to ask you to forgive me. And they said, what for? And he said, because for the last seven years I've been plotting how to kill you. And I'm a Christian and I ask you to forgive me. And the prisoners were confused. The guard was really confused. Uh, and they, the prisoners got on their knees and they asked him, will you forgive us for what we've done to your family? And it gets weirder. Then, as he, they're getting ready to be released, he called for a retreat of 25 of village, the, the, his tribe that had been uh, slaughtered. He, that, that those who were survivors, he called 25 family members together for a retreat. And without them knowing it, he called 25 of the prisoners that had become his friends to come to the same retreat. It was a five-day retreat. He said the first day was rather tense. Uh, you know, which I thought was kind of funny as I'm listening uh, and talking to this guy. He said the first day was really tense, and uh, when we went to have a meal, uh, those whose families had been killed said, we will not eat with those animals. And over the period of about the, of the, the time together, the third day, they came to him and asked him publicly to forgive for what they had done. And he forgave for what they had done against his family, and it broke the dam. Reconciliation began to occur between these people. And over the the next few years, they ended up buying a farm together. And he said, imagine this, taking machetes and hoes that were once used to kill each other, we began to farm together and began to produce for our country for healing. It became a model for Rwanda being reconciled. It's the only place I've been on the planet where there's been civil unrest, where there is now peace. And it's not that there aren't still troubles there. There are. But at least in pockets, like where this guy pastors, uh, God is bringing some amazing healing. His kingdom is coming. And it's exciting. You know, uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about the church being members of one another. And out of that membership of one another, he gives three um, one another statements that we'll look at this morning. But in verse 9 of Romans 12, your outline says verse 19. It should be verse 9 through 21. And says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. One translation says it this way, Don't pretend to love each other. Actually love each other. Verse 10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. 
and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so, uh, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. On your fill-in, the first uh, fill-in there is to love those who love us is natural. To love those who love us is natural. To love your enemies, to love our enemies is supernatural. Corey Tim Boom was, uh, was a wonderful lady. Um, and Corey, my daughter Corey, was named after Corey Tim Boom. And Corey, my Corey, is going to share this Corey's story. Corey Tim Boom lived in Holland, actually in Harlem, um, in the Netherlands during World War II, and her family had been praying for peace in Jerusalem before there was a Jerusalem as we know it now. Um, for 100 years to the year of when the Gestapo raided her home, she and her family uh, hid Jews actually up in her room. I actually got to go there and stand in her room, which was pretty cool. Um, and they hid Jews in this wall, and they were not found when the Gestapo came, though there were Jews in the home at the time. Uh, they did find some literature showing that, you know, they were against what the Nazis were doing and some ration cards. So her family was arrested um, and sent to work camps and concentration camps. Um, and she, of those who went, she was one of the only survivors. Her father died after nine days there. Her sister died. Um, and she was actually released because someone burned her paperwork. That's the only reason she was released a week before everyone her age was killed. Um, and so after all of this has happened, her family's been killed, she chooses to start a rehabilitation home for those who were persecuted and killed, or family members were killed, and then she also went around and shared the good news of Christ in many countries. And so she actually went back to Germany in Munich in 1947, and she shared this forgiveness and shared that, you know, the way forgiveness kind of looks is that it's as if they have been cast into the deepest part of the ocean you know, gone forever. And she says that people just looked back, back at her, not quite daring to believe. And she says there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. So they got up and would leave. But someone did come forward to her. And as soon as she saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next moment she saw a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parched skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. 
A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on. I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins, again and again, to be forgiven, could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, and I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Extraordinary love. To love those who love us is natural. To love our enemies, supernatural. Romans 10, uh, 12, verse 10, the first part of the verse says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Philippians 2, 1 and 2 puts it this way. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Your second fill-in there this morning is this. To seek honor from others is natural, but to show honor to others is supernatural. Before I go there, you know, it mentioned in the end of that chapter about the heaping of coals upon their head. We say, all right, we get our revenge now. Uh, if you've traveled or seen pictures internationally, this is a common scene uh, where in, in other cultures of the world, they carry everything on top of their head. I've seen five-year-old little girls carry four and five gallons of water on their head. And uh, just, just amazing um, what they can carry. It is, uh, it is very common in, in cultures before the days of matches and lighters uh, to carry your fire in, in coals on top of your head, which provided the ability to do two, three things. It provided light at night, it provided warmth, and it provided the ability to cook. 
And this passage where it says, when you show kindness to your enemy, you heap burning coals upon their head, is not a statement of judgment. Now, there are statements of judgment. I can take you to some Psalms that do that quite well. But here, it's referring to blessing your enemies and uh, putting coals upon their head. Well, that second fill-in of seek honor, uh, seeking honor from others is natural. But to show honor to others is supernatural. You know, even as kids, I know with all of our kids, at some point, they're, they're showing off and saying, Dad, Dad, look at me. And they want applause. All of us want applause. Uh, but to give applause is completely different. And to seek others' benefit. Linus Morris has uh, been a personal mentor of mine, and we've traveled together. We were just in Brazil together. And Linus has been a great example of what it means in, in this, uh, when it talks about showing honor. The, um, we were, when we were together um, in our last talk in Sao Paulo, Brazil, a month ago, Linus uh, was the guest of honor. And so as the guest of honor, he's speaking. But on the ride there, actually, he says to me, turns to me, he says, Hey, Doug, the last 10 minutes, I'd like for you to speak today. Will you do the, the closing part of this message? And, and I'm, I'm thinking, I said, be glad to. But I thought, I've seen him do this over and over and over with nationals and with people in various countries. You know, we've been together in, in Spain. We've been together in Portugal. We've been together with him in Uganda and Brazil. And I've seen him do this everywhere he goes. He makes room for others. He makes room for others. He shows honor to other people. And he was doing this for me. And when uh, I was telling Joan when I came back, you know, at the end of a, we would finish dinner and, Linus would be the first one up, and he would start washing the dishes. He stopped by my room one night, knocked on the door, and said, Hey, I'm getting ready to wash clothes. Uh, can I wash some clothes for you? And I told Joan that. She said, What did you do? I said, I sat in my room in red. And, and I said, But I did feel guilty one night, so I swept the floor. And, and, and Joan wasn't impressed. So uh, showing honor. Well, I think the real key is in Romans 12, verse 10, the second half of that verse. It's on your outline there. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. And see, Linus is actually very competitive. So I think it's just a competition. (laughs) Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves third point on your outline there this morning is to live independent life is natural. To live an independent life is natural. To live an interdependent life is supernatural. Um, Ricardo Walker is, is uh, one of the missionaries that we support here at the Vineyard. And uh, I was communicating, well, actually in 2012, uh, Stephen Boatwright Jr. from the church here we went over and visited with, with Ricardo. Uh, Stephen's now a seminary student at uh, Columbia International University. 2013, one of our daughters went and worked with the church plant that Ricardo is working with in Paris and stayed as an au pair for the summer working with one of the church's families. And then this summer, three of my kids and Joan and I were able to spend some time with Ricardo. It means so much to people serving in foreign countries to have Americans uh, who can come alongside them and just be an encouragement to, to them and pray with them. And I encourage you, some of you travel internationally. I encourage you to look for missionaries in those countries. Take them out the, for a meal and just be an encouragement to them. It may be the very thing that keeps them on the field. 
And uh, it's really vital, really vital. Well, I wrote Ricardo and I said, Ricardo, what moved for you being independent to interdependent? Here's what he wrote back. I thrive on teams when we all have different gifts and strengths that draw out the best in everyone. This, this passage that we've been reading from, Romans 12, is all about spiritual gifting. And he says, so I tend to be drawn to teams of high functioners from whom I can learn and grow by osmosis and from their feedback. I think especially looking at our team here, that the biggest ingredient, well, the oil of a well-functioning team is trust. Trust that others, teammates and apprentices, are, an integral, are integral to the team and will contribute with creativity and excellence. But also, and more importantly, the trust to keep short accounts, honest feedback at all times, open praise and criticism with dignity. Um, interdependence, God calls us to that. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be uh, wise in your own sight. If you're the wisest person you know, yeah, you, you need to meet some other people. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Philippians 2, 4, Let each of you look not to your, his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, I want to encourage us this morning to do something. I've done this in different settings, usually specifically related to forgiveness, but we're going to expand that a little bit this morning. But I want to give you the opportunity to shred your past offenses, to get rid of some baggage this morning. Now, this is not, you know, when you write down names of people that you need to forgive, this isn't shredding those people. Just want to be clear. This is, this is you letting go and saying, God, I just give this to you. I give this to you. One of the verses we read in Romans 12 said, as far as it depends on you. Uh, John and I were doing a, a conference this year, and we had a lady come to us after the uh, talk on forgiveness. We were doing a marriage conference, but we do a section on the importance uh, for marital harmony, forgiveness is needed, keeping short accounts. And uh, she came and she said, I'm having trouble with this forgiveness. And we said, well, tell us about it. And she said, well, my father is uh, not my husband, but my father's who I'm having trouble forgiving. And she had been raped by her father from childhood through her teen years, she and her sister. And she said, and then there were boys in the neighborhood who repeated the same process. And she said, I was able to forgive the teenagers, but I haven't been able to forgive my father. And she said, my sister says that I should just forgive him and be reconciled as she has been. But she said, I just can't do that. And so as we talked with her, we said, as far as it depends on you, you know, the stories that I shared about Pastor Protes and about Corey Tim Boone showed a reciprocity where the offender's coming and asking forgiveness. That wasn't the case here. The father was still abusive in his language and, and in his tone and just his attitude and arrogance, uh, defiance. And I said, you know, you are commanded to forgive, and you can forgive your father. But forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean you trust or you empower them to continue to abuse. 
And so for her, forgiveness was possible, and she did forgive. And God lifted this burden. You could just see her it lift off of her emotionally. And God began to heal a very damaged emotion in this young woman. There are people here this morning, that's been your experience. And there are others here that there have been atrocities that I can't imagine. Either done to you or by you. You know, the gospel is for the offended and the offender. It's not just for one. I'm getting ready in January to go to Thailand, and I'm working with a couple there. And they work not only with male prostitutes, female prostitutes who want to come out of uh, that lifestyle of slavery, but they also work with those who are the pimps. They also work with those who are the customers uh, because they believe the gospel is for all people, not just one audience, not just one group. And so what I want to encourage you to do this morning is what do you need to let go of? Who do you need to forgive? You know, it may be, it may not be, well, I have somebody that I really have bitterness toward. It may be a syndrome. Joan talked last week about the Dorothy syndrome from the Wizard of Oz, which is somewhere over the rainbow. And you're thinking, hey, if I could go somewhere else, be somewhere else, work somewhere else, be married to someone else, have kids that are, have kids, not have kids, whatever that may be, you're always thinking about somewhere else rather than where you are now. And you may need to die to the Dorothy syndrome. So I encourage you to jot that down if that's you. And be all here. Be where you really are. It may be ministry expectations. You wanted the church to look this way or that way. Or you wanted something to look different or you wanted more. It may be some accomplishments. In Philippians chapter 3, there's an amazing passage where Paul says... I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. To put that in our vernacular, he's saying, I was the top lawyer at my law school. Pharisees were lawyers. And this guy was the top of the class. He's the top guy. And he's, he's saying, you know, I count all of that to be garbage. I count everything to be garbage in order to gain Christ. You may need to put on your list to shred this morning your accomplishments. Because you're, you're finding your identity in what you've accomplished, your degrees, or whatever else it may be in terms of accolades that you've received. So I want to give you the opportunity this morning to get rid of some baggage so that we can begin to do two things better. One, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And two, love one another because we're members of one another. So as Chip and the team come up to lead us in worship this morning... I want us to keep it real as in honor of Charlie McBride. And what I want to encourage you to do, there's some shredders. There's a little one here. If you have little sins that you need to get rid of, you can, you, you can come to this little shredder. Or, as, as is the, the need for me and, and Tim, uh, you know, we have this R2-D2 size shredder. And uh, so I encourage you... Uh, Get rid of the baggage this morning. Let's stand together, jot down what you need to let go of, and during the, the, their time of worship, just come to the shredders. Now, last week and the week before, there were a lot of folks who came forward for prayer, and God moved significantly in healings and deliverance for people. And I'd like for the prayer team to come and stand on the, in the front here, and maybe a couple over on the side as well. 
Uh, don't leave me up here by myself. Somebody come now. And uh, stand, stand in front here to pray uh, for folks. But also, what will likely happen, many of you need to just deal between you and God. And so you, you don't need to talk to anybody. You need to talk to God. And you need to let it go and go to the shredder and be done with it. But for others, you need some processing. Or you need somebody to just give you a hug and say, I love you. I was in Ethiopia, I believe it was, and there was this one man, he came, and he said, it's my dad. And I said, what do you mean? He said, it's my father. I need to." He said, my dad's dead. How can I ask his forgiveness? He's no longer here. And I got out of the car. We were getting ready to leave, and I got out of our, 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 our car there, the Range Rover, and I, I stood beside him, and I looked at him, and I said, I'm going to do something that I've never done before, I don't remember doing before, and it's this. I'm your dad. And I just want to ask you to forgive me. And he broke down and weeping, and I broke down weeping, and we just embraced one another. And something naturally supernatural began to occur where God's healing began to be released. We've seen this with... uh, we, We had one lady who came and she needed to forgive her father. And when she let that go and forgave her dad... She had had a pain down the side of her neck and her shoulder for years that had been just persistent pain. She came to me the next service and she said, you won't believe this, but last night I went to bed pain-free for the first time in years. Healing is often related to forgiveness. Often it's not the forgiveness issue. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's not the physical issue. It's forgiveness. One more story and then we'll move into the ministry time. We were in Savannah, Georgia. And we had a lady in our small group one night who who said, I'm suffering from insomnia. And we began to pray and we just said, God, what is this? Is it insomnia or is there a cause for the insomnia? And had this this thought. Some people in the group just shared and said, you know, uh, was by any chance were you raped in your 20s? I mean, it's just kind of a crazy thought that someone had and they shared it. And this woman said, yes. And, she's, and then they said, unrelated to that, did you have an abortion? She said, yes. And we prayed for her, and she let that go and was freed. God set her free through a prophetic word of God caring for our lives and wanting to free us from our past. And in that freedom for her, she called us the next day and said, I haven't slept through the night in 10 years, and I was able to sleep through the entire night for the first time. God set her free. So let's get rid of some baggage and worship this morning. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.